All right, everyone, welcome back to Value Stack Podcast. Today we have a special guest. Mark Mariah is a business coach, a relationship rainmaker, a writer and coordinator for the Bitcoin Magazine contributors, the author of the Declaration of Monetary Independence, a sovereign-minded individual, and of course, like us all, has a lifelong commitment to learning. So, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome to Value Stack Podcast. Thanks, Zach. It's great to be here. So we'll uh, we'll open it up just like we uh, normally do when we have guests. Tell us about your your Bitcoin story, your your rabbit hole journey. Yeah, um, it, it's actually starts before I really before there was even Bitcoin or about the same time as Bitcoin uh, in two thousand eight when the system broke. Um, it was very obvious to me that something goofy was going on and it kind of put me on notice that there was a problem. So I've been a student of the monetary system for since 2008. I was a banking lawyer. I was a securities lawyer. So, I mean, I understood from the inside how some of that stuff worked and I knew how goofy it was. And it's amazing that it took me until 2020, really, which was, of course, COVID, when a lot of Mm -hmm. us really go, okay, they just printed more money, you know, in a week than had been printed in whatever. And so I bought a little bit in March and then bought a whole bunch more in November and really have kind of gone down the rabbit hole because what I knew about Bitcoin when I bought it really wasn't very much. I'd been following it, but just as a curiosity, not Hey, uh, you know, I always thought about investing and I would have used the word investing, not saving. Right. We talked um, about that. Yeah. Saving, yeah, not investing. Yeah, but but it's it's been a really amazing journey. I probably now have thousands of hours in it and obviously working for Bitcoin magazine, um, immersed in it all the time like you would be. So but it was really November of 2020. And the irony is. Uh, and this isn't unique to me. I know that that happened to Jack Mallers, but my kids who are millennials, um, actually, that was the November of 2020. I had a meeting with my daughter and I said, hey, Jen, we've got some money, sold your grandparents' house, and here's what's going to happen to it with inflation. Mm-hmm. And then if we put it in something like Bitcoin, I think it might at least hold its value over a period of three years. And she bought it and told me about it after the fact while we're in the meeting. So <laughs> it was really fun. So I've, and then my son came the same day, he bought some as well. So, you know, I got a chance to sort of orange pill my kids rather than having to orange pill me. Yeah. That's a, that's definitely not the way you normally hear it. Uh, dad orange pilling the, the, the kids. I know it certainly wasn't the, uh, the case in, in anybody in, your, I, in, in, in my family or any even even my friends and coworkers' family. Uh, you know, right. we're usually the millennials are more plugged into the technology uh, and, and see that. But I, it sounds like your you know you know kind of your professional background and, and and sort of being at the right having the right understanding at the right time uh, led you to sort of connect the dots and see oh this is. This is not just a, a, a fat, like a pet rock or a beanie baby thing. This is a new Absolutely. framework. Absolutely. And of course, when I first got in, it's so hard to even understand it, right? The advantage I had because my story and the way I told it was it started in 2008. 
I'm of the opinion that you really can't understand Bitcoin fully or money until you at least understand the history of money before Bitcoin. Totally. And if you don't understand how the banking system either works or doesn't work, the financial system, how it works and how money works, fractional reserve, there's a whole bunch of stuff, rehypothecating U.S. treasuries. There's just a ton of things. I, the way I say it to people is our monetary system and our, and our banking system is 200 times worse than any anyone can imagine, even most Bitcoiners. <laughs> and Bitcoin's probably, I say 200 times, it's probably 2 million times more amazing than anything <laughs> the human mind can imagine. So that delta, you end up with a lot of people who go, oh, that's too good to be true. Must be yeah. a scam. And I mean, I, my, you know, my career uh, before this was a financial advisor and I thought the same thing. And I think I, I've always been sort of a, a independent, sort of sovereign. I never really liked the rules as my parents would say, you know, my like teachers it. would say, but so I've always like, I, I've been welcome to the idea that of challenging the existing system in pretty much any, any aspect. Uh, I love so, that. We'll get but, along really well, Zach, because, yeah, yeah. you know, there's, it, I call it a maverick. I mean, even in the legal profession, I always felt like was an outsider. Um, and, and I don't think of that as a bad thing. And I didn't, mm. it doesn't mean I felt I was better than the people in the system. It's just, I never bought the narrative, whatever that narrative was. And I know you were saying that when you were in school, you learned about Keynesian economics. Well, that's a narrative. They didn't teach you any of the other narrative, which is sort of the Austrian side of things. Mm -hmm. And and that tends to create skeptics like you and I or or mavericks or people who think outside the box. Right. It's like, yeah. what are they not telling me? Why are right. they like, I mean, today with the Internet, it, it's not very hard to go on Google and, and and read an article that says there are two schools of thought in economics, Keynesian and Austrian. And then I would go to my teachers and say, well, why have we not talked about the other school of thought in economics? And they're like, oh, well, that one's a bunch of baloney. And I'm like, well, we should, don't you think like, we, should at least, we should at least discuss it so that we can critically analyze is that it, rather than just that our choice. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't you want to educate us so that we can decide whether or not we yeah. think it's bullshit? And it's like yeah. that, that, that education by omission sort of makes you like, okay, wait a second. Right. Why are you not telling me? I have more questions now than if you had just told me, you know, but again, that's partly, I think comes, comes with the, I like the maverick term you use, a skeptical uh, outlook. Um, I've always thought, you know, question things and I think you, and don't stop questioning, right? There's always another why. Never, after. never, never, never. In fact, I would say, you know, I love the stay humble stack sats. I just wish more Bitcoiners would actually be humble. Stay humble. It's not yeah. about staying humble. It's about being humble, which means you have a constant beginner's mind. You're you're always in inquiry and right. you're always learning new things. And I, it's been my experience, at least. I learn, I can learn as much from a Bitcoiner in Africa as I can from a Bitcoiner in the United States, but I just need to be exposed to some of their stories and some of their struggles and yeah. the outsiders tend to be the innovators, right? And that's what's happening right now with Bitcoin. It's probably why we both like Bitcoin, right? We, we're, there's sort of a natural outsider mindset, and it's becoming more of an insider thing, but still, it's still outsider. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it's, you know, when I was in financial planning, I, I wanted to tell my clients about Bitcoin, but there's, you know, the, 
the fiduciary obligation. And also there's the, I don't want to lose my job by telling somebody something that they could, you know, they don't fully understand. And so, but I, so it, it does, it takes that outsider mindset and, and, and in a uh, sort of a, a confidence in, in taking risk too. Like most, most investors are risk averse. Uh, most people are risk averse just in general. Very true. And, and you have to have a extremely, and myself included, in fact. Um, that's why I don't invest in stocks anymore because they're too risky. Right. And right. so the, the, uh, the, the irony is that like most people think Bitcoin's this risk asset when, I mean, it certainly is correlating with the NASDAQ and other risk on assets today. But you right know, over now. the long term, if you do the work, right? The thousand hours that you, you put in, like, I think it takes even more than that. And it's a never ending rabbit hole. That's why they call it that. But you do the work and you understand it for the properties it has, not the price related to the US dollar at the exact moment. And you get a very different picture. And, and that's really what we try to talk about on this podcast. Like we talk about price, but we don't really focus on it. You know, there's some podcasts that are like focused on technical analysis. And it's like, this is what Bitcoin's going to do this month. And there's this yeah. trend line that's going to do that. I don't, maybe, maybe they're great. And like, maybe that stuff helps you make, make, get more Bitcoin if you time it right. But what we're focused on is teaching people a framework that the new world, I truly believe the, the new financial system at the very least is going to be built on. And, and I really like that. Um, the, the, the article that you wrote about money is a, a battery, like this, this kind of idea of energy in digital form that can be sent across, you know, Michael Saylor's talked about that. Do, do you right. mind just like kind of summarizing that article? And, and I, what I think that you're really referencing means? the open letter to my children, which was really the first yes. article I think I wrote uh, yeah, for Bitcoin was. Magazine, which ultimately led to me doing a bunch of free work for them. Free work, CK, the best kind. Hey, you give me a lot of value. Can we hire you? And I think of myself as unemployable. So it was a good, it was a plum and CK's cap for talking me into it, but that article I wrote after having gone down the rabbit hole, and it was probably after the Bitcoin conference, I think, I'm not sure, which was in June of 2021. And I realized, okay, whether I did work in 1980 as a carpenter's helper, or whether I did it as a well-paid coach, speaker, author, whatever, I took whatever I got paid that's my energy. And I put it into something. Mm, yep. What did I put it into? Well, in the almost my whole life, I put it we into know. dollars. Right. And it, frankly, of all the currencies in the world, it is the best place to put your money yep. as far as currencies go. So I don't want to diss on the dollar, but it isn't as effective as Bitcoin as I now have learned. But it wasn't probably even as effective as gold or and that's what forced everybody to come to someone like you and go, OK, I made this money. But now I want to make sure my purchasing power doesn't leak like yeah. it's a bucket with a one inch hole in the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so I this letter to my children was, look, you guys can do anything you want. It's your money. It's your energy. But here's how I see it. And so I framed it that way because, you know, as, as we were talking about before we got rolling, Believe me, I'm not opposed to telling people what to do, but it never works. Right. So right. What, what, I've, what I've learned through the School of Hard Knocks is share with people how I see it. If my way of seeing it makes sense, great. So if any one person on this podcast, the light bulb goes on and goes, oh, right. My labor is my life force. 
Where do I want to save it? Where am I best served to put it? Then that's a win, even if they don't put it all in Bitcoin, because now you're thinking about it in a different way. And as some people say, you make a bargain with your future self. Well, maybe that framing doesn't help me understand it. My framing is, okay, I earned a dollar today. I want to have a dollar of purchasing power in 30 years. That's the battery concept. And and that's, that, that was one of the aha moments that I had. It, it, you know, you look at it's, you work, you have finite amount of time and energy and eventually you don't have any more and there's no vehicle. I mean, historically real estate has been kind of the best vehicle for that, but that's only partially because it gives you, you know, anywhere from 10 or five to one, if you put 5% down 20 to one leverage, there's nothing. And and that what you're really doing is leveraging the depreciating asset because the debt is denominated in fiat and the asset that you've acquired is denominated in the home value. So they they constantly are, you know, spreading that gap. And, and, and that's what, I mean, that's what I got into monetary policy and started economics because I, I saw my parents having to work more and more to get the same thing when I was a 10, you know, 10, 11, 12. And as I got into college, I started feeling that personally. And I was like, why just, it, this doesn't feel How right. do I get off the hamster yeah. wheel? And, and right. it's gotten, I'm turning 30 next month and it's gotten even worse. And, and, and I literally went into financial planning. So of most, I would say I'm a pretty savvy investor and I definitely understand the concepts that, you know, arbitrage and, you know, I'm just throwing out and words. Money, stop. In the banking system. Yeah, like I get it more than system. most and yeah, I'm yeah. not even equipped because right. it's not knowledge that really helps you. It's capital. The more capital have, the more you can leverage depreciating cost of debt because and, money loses value over time. And the more choices you have, right, Zach? Yeah. So, you know, the thing that I, and I've always the tried relationships to that it unlocks for you. Absolutely. I want my children. I want anyone really. I want it for everybody. I want it for my enemies. Really. I want everybody to have more choices, you know, which brings more freedom. You know, if we're living in Africa and we don't even have a monetary system we can trust, it's, there's some amazing entrepreneurs that live in that on that continent, but boy, they have to claw Elon their Musk way from out there. of hell to even try to get close to where we might get being fortunate enough to have been born in the United States. Yeah, I think that it, it, it's so true. Um, you mm-hmm. know, the people who adopt Bitcoin first are the ones who need it most and fortunate yeah. or unfortunate, depending on your perspective. Uh, the United States will probably be one of the later countries to adopt it fully and, and like fully embrace it um, because there's just not necessity. And it also undermines the credibility of the dollar if the current reserve currency says, hey, uh, we don't actually have control on this. I, I agree with what you've said, but it, and you said it undermines the credibility of the dollar. But if they started putting it on their balance sheet, it would actually support the credibility of the dollar, but it would undermine their control, their power. The whole Cantillon effect, the the the, the so, banking system, the central bank. I want to push back on that because okay. let's let's talk because you saw what happened this week with uh, Terra Terra Luna. Did you see that? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was exactly their plan. They were like, "We're going to create this stable coin that's built on a house yeah. of cards, a fiat yeah. essentially on, and we're yeah. going to back it with Bitcoin, and that's going to make it stable and give it value." But what happened was people said, we're going to cause a run and make you sell all your Bitcoin in the open market. 
and it's not going to be effective. And right. then they gave up all their Bitcoin. So I, I, I you could be, you're you could making, be totally right, a, but I you're think you're making that, a great point. I think the one difference is Luna's not the world's reserve currency. Mm, facts. These so are big facts. <laughs> if Jay Powell says we're going to start, we're going to, we're going to print a trillion dollars and, and double the market cap of Bitcoin overnight, their investments probably going to go 10 X. It's kind right. of what it's, it's a version of what Tesla did when they put it on their balance sheet. They've so, got the, uh... so I totally agree with you. What Luna, I thought what Luna was doing was an interesting experiment, and I'm really glad that they did it because it it proved a bunch of things that you know we were, probably weren't planning on talking about today. And I'm really glad that we now have another experiment in our in our in basic books. experience, <laughs> right? For Bitcoin, because it ultimately it's it's all good for Bitcoin, and I like that they tried, and I also love that he basically unloaded all of his Bitcoin, and it did not. I don't think it gone. The, the market at all comparatively. Yep. Exactly. And so that proved how liquid you can unload whatever it was, billions of dollars three, worth of Bitcoin. I think it was $3 billion worth of Bitcoin. Right. You know, f- find me an asset market where I can spot sell $3 billion without making the price crash. And when the whole world knows you're going to have to sell it. Yeah. 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 It's been, uh, you know, I, I think like the stable coins in general, they're, uh, I, I, I do think that they will happen. Like they're, I, I, do I think, think they have be, to, I just I, I'm, with Michael Saylor. I'm with Michael Saylor in this one. I think we need at least one stable coin to go along with Bitcoin. If not a, a number of them, tether obviously is the most obvious one. Yes. They have counterparty risk, but they don't bounce up and down like Bitcoin does. And there's just all kinds of people, not only my peers, who are their own basket case for a different set of reasons. And then there's people in, you know, the developing world. They just can't, for some of them, it's no big deal. What um, volatility, because they have the Argentinian peso. They're used to it. That's not a problem for them. But in most countries, they're going to say, no, I I just cannot take the risk that it's going to go down to half in a week. Well, you know, if, if, uh, if there are, Let's say like there's a run on the U.S. dollar, which I don't know. We will see if that happens. But if there is hyper hyperinflation and and the fiat currencies essentially lose confidence, then there wouldn't people just have bitcoins? There's no volatility in the price, right? Because they have the same quantity of bitcoin. So I, I think that what I my base case is that we're gonna have this transitionary period. Maybe it's 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, might be the rest of my life. I may never see the Bitcoin standard in my life, but I do think of the long run, and, and, and that's why I don't ask, stop asking why. Like you get right. to the first, the first principles. And I think in the long run, if Bitcoin is the the medium of exchange, then it becomes the unit of account, and the volatility is sort of there is no volatility anymore. The only volatility is the increase in purchasing power that you have through the deflationary forces right. over time, the increase and loss. Because yeah, you can so lose purchasing day to day. And right. so I'm in agreement with you, Zach. And in fact, the way I look at it is the price of Bitcoin is relevant only as a barometer for how many people actually understand it's it. It's an adoption you barometer. You know, I've written yeah. an article that says nobody understands Bitcoin. No, and that's, that's okay, right. Right. <laughs> but until more people understand not just Bitcoin, they need to understand money. They need to understand the banking system. 
They need to understand the financial system and they need to understand how bad they are. I think I, I said to you earlier, it's 200 times worse than anyone realizes. They actually need to understand that. Then there's no convincing people that they need to have some Bitcoin. And then understanding Bitcoin is like this, it's magic, right? I mean, right. I, I, I'm not a math expert and there's parts of it that I just go, okay, maybe I could spend brain power for the next thousand hours trying to understand how this works, mm -hmm. but I'm just going to call that magic that other people who are smarter than me know I how mean, to do it, the math, et cetera. It is. You know, math is the, it's the language of, of, of nature. It's the language of physics, language of the universe. You look at the Fibonacci sequences and the way that, you know, snail shells grow and that, you know, pie shaped or, you know, pie golden ratio. I mean, this, and Bitcoin is the it is math, and that's why I have so much confidence in it because it's the one thing that humans can't change because we didn't invent math in the first place; we discovered it. Right. Uh, right. And, and uh, I, so, the the idea that there can be this currency that's separate from the government, from humans, in a way, like from the yes. intervention. Well, of you're the separating money from state. Right. It's as yeah. strange as separation of church and state was 300 and something years ago when the United States was being founded. It's as groundbreaking, if not more so. Yeah. yeah. What do you yeah. think that leads to? Like, I, do you think that that's there's a because this is a lot of times like people will say, well, if the government can't step in and help when things go wrong. Right. There'll be chaos. And, and, and I've thought through this a lot. And, you know, there there still will be tough times ahead. I mean, Bitcoin, they say Bitcoin fixes everything, but it doesn't, but it does fix yeah. a lot of things. But I think in my, in my perspective or prediction, I guess it, it's, it, it, there are more frequent, less severe shocks because the free market has to sort itself out and it does that quickly. And it doesn't let these huge inefficiencies build up to where there's a, such a disaster that the Fed has to step in. So I'm curious if you share that view, how do you think separating money from state will impact society? Well, I agree with a lot of what you've said. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm certainly no good at predicting the future. We can, we can certainly speculate. Here's what I would say. And I th think we talked about it maybe before we got going. I am really glad I live in a world with Bitcoin because whatever's coming, whether it's moderate to severe turbulence in our lives, in the economy, Bitcoin is a constant. It won't change. The consensus rules are not going to change no matter how badly the you know what hits the fan. And so, and if my unit of account is Bitcoin, then I'm in a pretty smooth sea, even though I know everything else around me, including things like the value of my house or whatever, can be going up or down. And so, it, you know, we talk about low time preference. It's having a long-term view. It's having a more stable view. Uh, I, I, like I said, I'm just happy that Bitcoin exists as an option. We're at some point going to have to live with the reckoning from 2008. If 2008 had happened without Bitcoin being where it is, we'd have been in a world of hurt, at least short term. Yeah. There would be no. And, but we exit. would have taken our medicine 13 years ago. Right. We're now we've built the, the 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 debt bubble up to larger. That's probably not a good thing, and it's not one country. 
Right. There is literally 160 currencies, currencies racing to the bottom. Yeah. The way That's I the describe concept. it is you've got, you've got 160 currencies going backwards and you've got Bitcoin going forward. You don't have a full awareness that that's what's going on. So sure. you mentioned before, Bitcoin is without question a risk-off asset you want to go to when things get turbulent. Right. That's not widely shared yet. But I think it's just, okay, let's see how the events of today, tomorrow, and the next week and month and year play out knowing that I have an opt-out, I have an exit strategy from fiat whenever I need it. So so you said something there that reminded me of uh, the big short, the movie I saw. Right, yeah. And, and, and I, I, this was part of, I, you know, there's so many different touch points that have really helped mm -hmm. me understand little pieces of Bitcoin, right? And they all kind of go together and form this generic worldview generalized worldview that where i synergize them but one of the things that, that you mentioned is that when they bought these credit default swaps they thought they were going to get rich when the housing market crashed lo and behold though the custodian who was supposed to pay them out on the trade couldn't or, or at least they had a lot of issues so it's like cool you're even though you're at your your mark to market value went up they can't pay you out so there's like this there's this black swan liquidity custody risk that is just counterparty not risk. counterparty. Oh it's not thought of. And Bitcoin is the bearer asset of the 21st century. There is no counterparty risk. The, uh, and that exactly that, that's crazy. So, so that the interlocking risks in the system, if you understand them, and I don't even claim to understand them completely. Right. No I would never them. sleep. I would never sleep again. They're, they're, and that's what I think terrified everybody in 2008 and why they did what they did, by the way. I'm not coming to their aid. Right. I suspect if I were in their shoes, I might have done the same thing. I don't know. Right. Right? I mean, I it mean, was the forward. it was the best path forward. I mean, we've been on but a ship since they it, broke the But gold literally, standard. there's no counterparty risk in this asset other than cash. I can't make that statement. I could, I guess I could make that statement about gold or silver if I hold it. Right. But then I got a different issue going on. I can't send you gold and silver risk. across the world to Japan in 30 minutes, you know, to another person to pay for something or frankly, to pay for food, air, water, or not air, pay for food, water, you They'll know, uh, roof over my too. head. Right. I mean, those, I think that's an, I think that's a really, really important insight that very few people understand. And it's, it's described sometimes as inside money and outside money. But mm -hmm. it's all about counterparty risk. And what Wall Street's really good at doing is it's like hide the risk. It's like a hot potato. Yep. Here, you take it, Zach. Okay, I'll take it. And then I'll sell this to somebody else. They have it. And then you've got this interlocking chain of all these counterparties. And it's a complete meltdown when it this finally like starts a, to unwind. This sounds like a DeFi protocol. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, the current, the current financial system is the DeFi protocol before there was DeFi. That's absolutely uh, well said. I'm going to put that in the intro clip, but that's, but uh, that's all it is. Yeah. Oh man. Well, that's uh that I, I love that, that, that we were riffing on that. Um, but I know you had quoted Jameson Lop uh, and, and said that no one understands Bitcoin. And I, so given, and it really, it was a couple things I wanted to ask you to put them all into one question. So, 
given the volatility that we've been talking about, right? Like, I mean, that we've experienced, uh, given that you're approaching retirement age, many people that are asking these questions are also approaching retirement age. The baby boomer population is the largest population today, I think, aside from millennials, uh, but maybe, maybe that's not even true. Uh, but the, uh, so uh, what I'm curious is like, given the volatility, given the, the risk, given that they don't understand it, given that it's new, how do, like, wh- what do you say to, to baby boomers, to really any age group, but particularly those who care, who need to understand it soon? How do you get them on board? How do you get them on the arc? Yeah. Uh, well, in the early stages, it's kind of like I had gotten religion and I tried to convince people, but I always try to use and present practical use cases. So I have a neighbor She's probably 10 years older than I am. She still works. She owns some real estate. And rather than try to convince her to buy Bitcoin, I said, I just purchased some Bitcoin to pay for my taxes for the next three years. And that made sense to her because she had rental properties and she was aware at some level about purchasing power. But for the most part, my approach with people today isn't to try and convince them to buy Bitcoin. Most of my peers are probably very comfortable, have a pretty good um, net worth. They're not worried about money. And I will often say to them, you probably don't need Bitcoin. And, right. and I mean it at one level, but that almost always kicks in the opposite, which is that it makes them more curious. And then it's all the pressures off in terms of getting it. And it's almost fascinating because they tend to be then start asking me a lot of questions. What I'm looking for in terms of how I convince my peers, which is boomers, to buy into it is I got to know whether or not you're experiencing any pain right now. Like if I've got a very dear friend of mine and I haven't figured out the answer to this yet, she's probably living in a social security income and I probably uh, subsidize a little bit of her lifestyle just because there's no other place she can go. Yeah. And That's the, I would uh, love to, what's sorry, that? Uh, uh, and I would love to figure out a way to create something that allows her to basically stretch her social security income further. And I know there's a way to do it with Bitcoin as long as we start with some Bitcoin on her balance sheet and then use that and the growth of it over time. But to me, even in 2020, I looked at retiring and I'm like, well, I had a Bitcoin strategy for if I retire and start collecting Social Security, guess where I'm going to put every single nickel of that Social Security? That's right. Because it just made sense. I mean, if I don't need it immediately to pay my debts that week, month, year, then I couldn't come up with a good reason why I wouldn't do that. Yeah. So with every person, it's they're like a snowflake, Zach. You... If you don't understand where their pain points are, if you don't understand what's got them nervous, like I got another friend very, very doing very well, does not have any confidence in our government at all. So he's interested in Bitcoin just as like an insurance policy, right? Mm. The lifeboat we were talking about or the ark. So, and so every single person's different. There is no one size fits all. And it really depends. You said it earlier, you nailed it. Those who are the most at risk, who are the most vulnerable are going to adopt it soonest because they will see the use case for it. Yep. This uh, uh we're we're obviously both uh, in sales. 
uh, tying yeah, right. things together. So right. this, this reminds me of the rain, the rain making mindset, right? It's like tie the, the relevant pain points to the person to make an impact. Um, right. And, but if there's no need, right? If there's no need, if someone doesn't perceive they have a need, then I don't care gonna, what right. you're selling. I mean, I haven't seen anyone do this lately, but I would love to go down in the streets of Denver and say, hey, here's an open dime with $100 on it, or you can have two candy bars. And I think even today, most yeah. people will take the two damn candy bars rather than the open dime with $100 of Bitcoin on it. Especially with the food shortages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not that a candy bar is exactly health food, but yes, yeah. It'll absolutely keep you alive true. for a few hours. <gasps> oh, yeah. no, it's true, though. I mean, so, and I, I've, you know, it, I go through the struggle because I, I want to tell people about Bitcoin all the time, but it, it, they focus on the price or they're not quite ready to really connect all the dots. And so the question I want to ask you is like, how do you, you know, being like you have the experience as a sales coach and business, you know, business coach. And like, I, I look like I, I'm almost hesitant sometimes to teach people because it affects, it negatively affects my relationships sometimes. And, oh, absolutely. I, I'm, and I'm curious, like, Given that, given your experience, like if you have any tips for me or, or, or any of the Bitcoiners out there, like how can you convey the importance, kind of the, the, the uniqueness of the Bitcoin message without alienating people and without, you know, doing material damage to your relationships and making everybody think you're, you know, crazy? It's a, it's a really great question. It's a really hard question because obviously that's true for all of us. And I've struggled with that myself. What I've reached is the conclusion, keep it to yourself mostly. Um, you can still ask a series of questions around someone's level of understanding of the macro environment we're in. Like, do they have the foundation already set Are up they to worried understand? About inflation? So I might ask people, hey, look, do you think inflation's an issue? Do you trust your government? I mean, after COVID, that's a good do one. you trust your government? Some people totally no. trust their government. <laughs> no, I mean, and it's, again, it's like I have, it's, I have no clue how anyone could trust their government at this point. But I, but I know the, it's a, the world is a big place. People, their filter, all of, all of us are filters, no one is seeing the world exactly as it is because mm. it's completely a subjective experience. Yep. So what I would say with you, your friends, and I got a great story. This happened actually in a Bitcoin meetup. Particularly with your friends and your family, the people you care about the most, if they sit there and go, hey, Zach, I don't want to hear another conversation about Bitcoin. You just have to honor that. Okay. I've got a friend like that. Good advice. Um, and there's one of the Bitcoiners, she has a sister who's a lawyer in New York, and she kept trying to orange pill her. I'm not, by the way, big on even that phrase, because to me, it's about educating people. And it's educating people on money first, Bitcoin only if you don't get how bad the system is. Like I said earlier, what I try to do is to get people's understanding of how bad the system is and where they're experiencing their own pain from mm. that system. So she kept trying to orange pill her very successful New York lawyer sister and was getting nowhere. And it was starting to piss off her sister. And I'm like, stop. There's yeah. no need to keep trying. Right. Just She'll never adopt it. If, yeah. No, just love your sister. Don't Bitcoin's not an issue. Don't make it a point of separation between you and your sister. That's not helping that's you or her. And that's and the so, whole point, right? The whole point exactly. is to empower... That, I, I and I I lose sight of it myself sometimes. Like we all do. Uh, 
it's about like the end of the day, like Bitcoin is a tool just like anything else. And it's a tool for hopefully making life less about money in the first place. And so you can focus more on relationships. Bingo. So, you know, we haven't touched on it, but you just hit it. To me, the irony of having a absolute scarcity, i.e. the 21 million, is it triggers an abundance mindset, which I think I had before Bitcoin, but it really triggers it when you understand it because we go back to that, my labor and my life force, I'm going to save it in something and I want as many options as possible for as long as possible. And mm. so you're absolutely right. Bitcoin's a tool. It's a valuable tool. It's a once in a species invention or it's a discovery, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, but it's still at the end of the day, it's a tool. I can't eat Bitcoin. Bitcoin right. doesn't automatically make me have a good relationship with my mother, father, sister, brother, friends. In fact, yep. it could be do the reverse, like the story I was just telling you. That, uh, and so, so I think we forget that. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, one of the things I was a big fan of, I was a, a fan of slow money, which is all about healthy soil. Um, I don't know if you've read any Alan Farrington stuff. It's phenomenal. No. And there's Texas Slim is now getting into that. Mike Hobart's yeah. written about it. Um, they'd be fantastic guests, by the way, I think on your podcast, because cool. I tie soil. It's a very foundational capital, right? This is Alan Farrington saying this. And we all, there's nobody in America that actually appreciates soil. There's less understanding of how important soil is to my health than Bitcoin, than the understanding of Bitcoin. So uh, I listened to Joe Rogan with Sadhguru and he, he's a, I guess he's a guru. I don't know. Uh, but I haven't heard of him, but I've listened to, uh, but the, I listened to Joe doing like an hour. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. They, they literally just talked about the importance of soil. And I was like, he's like, you come from the soil, you return to the soil, you are the soil. And I was like, holy shit, this guy's on another level, man. And it is. It's, and it's so far removed from us because of modern life. And again, it's not necessarily something we need to get like into. But you can have a Texas, away, yeah. You can have Texas Slim as a guest. You can have a Jason Wurich, who's a farm or a rancher in uh, Crawford, Colorado. Um, he could be. A great I just guest. got some beef from Jason. I got a freezer full of rich ranch beef in my and, right now. And so do so, I. That's right. We, we went on the same order together. That's well, somebody right. picked it up on your behalf. You didn't come that yeah, day. That's, that's right. right. That's right. Yep. I was a but, you know, busy again, man in the phones. To, back to the, the, the way relationships. I wrote a book called Relationships Are Everything. And I, and I mean that. And it's business and it's yeah. personal. Business is personal to me. And never, 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 I hope anyone listening, ever, ever, makes Bitcoin something that you use as a reason to create a disconnect between you and anyone you care about. I don't care who it is, your kids, your wife, your spouse, your brother, your sister, your best friend. It, it's just not worth it. So drop it, zip Damn. it, right? So dropping the knowledge bombs. Uh, well, what, but I mean, a I mean great, let's put it, it's advice. a hierarchy, right, Zach? Would you rather have a billion dollars of Bitcoin and no family that you want to hang out with and friends. The, uh, the last thing uh, we talked up a bit before we started recording, I don't use Twitter anymore. Um, but the last thing I retweeted was from Eric Yakes, who was a guest on the show. Yeah. And he says, awesome. you can't, I, I'm paraphrasing it. But it was, uh, you, you can't buy friends that family that loves you and friends that care about you. 
monetary wealth is meaningless without these things. Yeah. And I was like, Honestly. this is the perfect tweet to ride off into the sunset on because it's at the time, like I, I think I personally was, was starting to lose sight of that. Um, this was in November, right? We're at almost 70,000. I'm sitting there counting the dollars and which vacations I'm going to go on. You could hear it in the podcast that we recorded in October, November. Like, you know, this yep. is, that's, that's why we record through bull and bear markets because we're not trying to, we're trying to give our listeners the, the trend, like this is what a Bitcoin journey is like. It's, you know, although it's been years, I'm still on it and I still make mistakes and I still, ha I'm still a human being. Right. And this whole invention of Bitcoin, I think is part of like how we remember that because our whole capitalist society through fiat money over the last 50 years, which is, you know, basically your whole life and certainly my whole life, the, it, we we've gotten more focused on money and less focused on the things that bring us joy. And, and I, I hope that Bitcoin's that foundation that brings us Bitcoin, back to that. Bitcoin allows for human flourishing. And, you know, you use the phrase bear market and bull market. And I've now started inside Bitcoin magazine, starting to tease people that that is an investment mindset slipping yeah. into your language. Mm, and I know is. you don't think of it as an investment. And so a bull market and a bear market is irrelevant. Is it still a good savings tool? The day I get in, it was a good yep. savings tool. When it went up to 69, it was a good savings tool. When it went down to 25, it was a good savings tool. Nothing yep. changed in my thesis that it's a good savings tool. Back to your point and your question about the battery I just want to make sure that when I get ready to go and spend from that hard earned work that I did, that I have, I have enough purchasing power to have the freedom to spend time with people I love, right? It's your last tweet. And it's real easy for all of us to forget it. I am absolutely yep. as guilty of, you know, the same things you're talking about. We all lose perspective on that, but Bitcoin is the, the point of Bitcoin is so that, you can spend more time and freedom and have flourishing with the people you care about, not so you can sit there and count, you know, how many Satoshis you have. Right. Cause they're, they're just digital units. They, they do nothing without converting them idea. into, it's, it's, a new it's energy, idea. right? And they're a new idea on how to preserve my life force and my life energy and purchasing power. It's a new idea. No, you don't have to use it. It's 100% opt-in. Although I think what's going to happen is people will eventually be using Bitcoin and Lightning and they won't even know it. Right. I think that that's when we <laughs> yeah. know we really survive, you know, we really yeah. made our strides. But in the meantime, I just, you know, I'm happy to go along and I want to be able, I love having the freedom. And it sounds like you resonate with this. I love having the freedom to make choices not because I have to, to make a living, yeah. but because like you're doing this, this is a passion project for you. I really, you know, I really respect that. So I hit that subscribe button. If you're not subscribed, hit that subscribe right. button. And it, but I think it's a beautiful thing because there's a lot of things you could do with your discretionary energy, but you're doing this and you're educating people, right? On this new monetary asset that to me, again, I love Brandon Quittam's thing. It's a pioneer species. It's allowing the mm. human species, back to your question about, you know, nobody understands Bitcoin and that's okay. 
I don't understand Bitcoin. I don't claim to understand it. Yeah, I've got study in it, so I'm further along than I was the day I, I went in. But I think the whole species, uh, human species, is going to take decades fully to learn how amazing a property it was. Hat tip to people like Robert Breedlove, who've talked about this, and Gigi. Um, It's got its own unit for measuring time. Again, thank you, Gigi. Um, There's Marty Bent as well. Um, there's, There's a bunch of things about this that I, I'm actually thinking of writing an article. Have you ever heard the, the proverb of the six blind men and the elephant? And the elephant? No, I haven't. Yeah, so the, the, the concept is you got six blind men all touching the elephant, and someone thinks it's the tail's the rope, or the the, the trunk is a tree, or the, 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 the body of the elephant is a wall, or whatever. And so we're all touching the same thing. Thinking it's different. But we're describing it differently. So mine's going to be, 330 million people in Bitcoin, right? The, mm-hmm. the blind 330 million people in Bitcoin, right? Because we don't understand it fully. Yeah, you may understand it better than I do. And that's great. And then hopefully you can teach me or I can teach you or teach my peers if they don't understand something important. But again, I go back to too much focus on Bitcoin. Here's here's the one disappointment I have, I think, with the whole Bitcoin community. And because I've been a teacher and an educator, I can see it. We're 13 years into Bitcoin and I can't, you name the place I can go to learn about money, the banking system and the financial system in a day and really understand the nature of the problem and never discusses Bitcoin. Where can I go? Mm, Yeah. I mean, maybe you read like F.A. Hayek or. uh, But but F.A. Hayek doesn't teach a course. So, right. I mean, the looking glass. So Greg Foss, Jason Sansoni, um, uh, there's a couple of other folks, uh, Seb Bunny. They're trying to do stuff like this to close the gap because the, the point, the message I keep trying to get across to people is if you don't understand really our monetary system, our banking system, and our financial system, you're probably never going to understand Bitcoin as a savings tool. Totally. You may see it as an investment and that's fine. That's not wrong, but it's like only halfway. And even understanding as a savings tool is probably three quarters of the way. What's a hundred percent beats the hell out of me, Zach. (laughs) Let's check back with each other in a decade or two. And maybe we'll have a better understanding of what it all meant. Well, well, that's what I really like about Eric Yates' book, The Seventh Property, is that he leads not with Bitcoin. He, and, he, and actually, there's it really doesn't even mention Bitcoin in the in the first half of the book. It's yep. all about the history of fiat, and only then, once he set the stage of understanding how the current system works, does he then compare it to Bitcoin to it. And that's exactly why I really like the fiat standard from Saifedean's book too, because he does exactly that in reverse. So it's sort of okay now that you understand fiat here's how it looks relative to Bitcoin. But I I completely, totally agree. Like if you don't understand the problem, you're not going to see Bitcoin as the solution. It's just like, right. There's no, there's no problem to solve. Right. It touches on the thing like about sales and pain points. Like if you don't have something to tie it to that you personally viscerally understand, then you're going to have a hard time seeing the long term. Maybe you see it as investment, but like, you're well, not going to see the, I, mo- the I, monetary aspect. 
I totally agree with you. I love what Eric has written. I think it's fantastic. And in fact, I learned on your show, and, and I may have heard this before, but he said that he wrote it for basically the financial types because he's a private equity right. guy. And it's like what Saifedean wrote in the Bitcoin standard. They were more interested. He framed it that way. But then the great story, and I think I told you this before we got the show going, <clears throat> in Slack today in Bitcoin Magazine, one of my coworkers was saying, wow, we're making progress because there's some little kid that said they were, she was wearing, my coworker was wearing apparently a Bitcoin shirt like this one, right? You've got one on. Um, and the little kid said, do you invest in Bitcoin? And she's mm, like, right. yes. And to your point, that's only halfway up the mountain. What I would suggest is we all, all of us Bitcoiners need to say, well, no, I don't invest in Bitcoin. I save in Bitcoin yep. so that, it creates a level of curiosity. What I found as a, both as a coach, not just for any group of people, but a group of people, lawyers, very successful. If I told them what to do, it went in this year and exited that year as fast as they heard it, most, which most is what people. we're doing when we orange pill most people versus mm, yeah. you actually help make people curious. By asking and, questions. If they're curious and they have a problem, then they're interested in what we have to say about Bitcoin. Yep. And we not were, a moment uh, I went out with some friends a few weeks ago and one of them made a kind of smug remark about how expensive the drinks were at the bar. And I was like, well, that's why you should quit drinking first off. But uh, then I was like, this is, he sees the pain, opportunity, teach about Bitcoin. And he, he was, wide-eyed like what and, and you know i think it'll take a couple more touch points but you could see the the gears turning, turning. The, the way yeah mm. and, and you just and, reminded me you just reminded me you asked me earlier one of the what are, how do i sort of explain and talk about bitcoin with my friends and literally what i have said to them before is well what i like about bitcoin is everything's getting cheaper right because in an era of inflation, they're like, wait, what? That's not fair. What? Right? It's like, what? No, no, it's, it's not, not getting cheaper. It. Okay. Well, yes, it is if it's Bitcoin and you look at it through a long enough arc, right? right? No, it's not getting cheaper in purchasing power from November to today. But still, I will say that and then I will drop it. And if they're curious, they'll come back with questions. And if they're not, they don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I, no. I, the, you know, no sense trying to convince somebody of something they don't want, right? Right, and that's the thing. That's about a bad Bitcoin. salesperson. Like, you you need Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't need you. Like the the system <laughs> exists when there was one person who had Bitcoin, and it's not much different today. The blockchain still right. works the same way when Satoshi created it. So right. it, it's really the amount the people that benefit from it because it's a tool. Uh, it, it's like, but it it doesn't. There's no one like an, like, and I, I'll use like altcoins as a comparison here. Like altcoins need you to adopt it because they need the liquidity in order to keep their projects sustained. Bitcoin yeah. sustains itself. And I think that is what has allowed right. it to, to be here you well, know, still today. And the ultimate altcoin is every currency in the, in the world. We're talking about all that interlocking right. risk, right? I mean, those altcoins didn't get created out of thin air and they certainly didn't use Bitcoin as the model. They used our current financial system as the model and said, right. okay, how can I make money? Well, 
They're not trying to make money that lasts a hundred years. They're trying to make money that allows them to whatever, you know, buy their house, their car, their whatever they perceive as the symbol of success. I think one of the things about both COVID more so even than 2008, I don't think 2008 people saw that as a values reset that it really was, or at least it wasn't as widely understood that way. This is my perception, right? Um, COVID definitely was a values reset in the sense of, okay, do I really want to commute an hour each way? Okay, do I really trust the school systems doing right by my children who they're teaching? Okay, is my college education really worth what it says? Okay, is the food supply really, really something I can trust or do I need to actually take some responsibility for my own healthcare choices? And as I say to people, where you live is a healthcare decision. So if I'm not close to adjacent where it's farms or ranch where I can buy really high quality food, that's a decision. And then what I eat every day is a healthcare decision. Well, those things... I, th- I had arrived at those conclusions before I got into Bitcoin. So I can't credit Bitcoin for that. But 2020 really started to say, okay, well, my health is pretty darn important. You know, and am I doing everything I can? Or is that the government's responsibility? Mm. I'm, I'm sad to say, I think there's an awful lot of people that think it's the government's responsibility to keep them healthy and safe. And that is so delusional. Well, what do you, I mean, we've been talking about this, like all of the pros of Bitcoin, right? But I know yeah. you've wrote, wrote this article about the three blind spots in Bitcoin. And I want to yeah, reference the- I haven't written the, yet, I'm writing the, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah okay, yeah. well, there's a preview to come uh, yeah, if you're yeah, listening. Preview. Exactly. But there, I want to use the, uh, the, the image of the, the six blind men and the elephant and imagine that they are looking for the blind spots in Bitcoin. So yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what do you think the threats are and, and what people are missing? Well, I, I think- you sort of tacitly acknowledged it when you said you haven't posted on Twitter. I think Twitter's a great tool, but I think it's a blind spot because I think there's an, it's an incredible echo chamber. And yep. right now, if the market's down, that can be a really pull you down with it kind of a thing. And if I went into my neighborhood and asked 100,000 people about Bitcoin, I guarantee you almost nobody's even going to be know about Twitter And they're not going to know about Telegram, which I am on a fair bit. I'm not on Twitter, but I'm on Telegram. And they're not going to know much about it. And so we got all this echo chamber of a very, very, very tiny, tiny percentage of people who admittedly understand it better than everyone else. They're all talking to each other. And then the worst part is there's a level of arrogance that I don't think they even see that, that floats on Twitter And so to me, I just want to pop their bubble and go, guys, no, the the name of the game is less time on Twitter, more time trying to understand what your neighbor, your friend, your family thinks of as their problems in their life. And it might have nothing to do with Bitcoin. And then only when it's a monetarily or banking or financial related issue, do you even get close to bringing up the idea of Bitcoin. So that's one. Okay. Uh, if you want to react, go ahead. Uh, I know I you am, probably uh, like to agree with uh, me. I uh, no, And, and I, I think that that's, again, it's like part of the, part of what I'm learning myself. Like I, I, 
being like someone who was in finance, I've been a financial planner and now I'm a Bitcoin advisor. Like this is like constantly in my, in my subconscious and it's in the top of my mind. Most of the times like Bitcoin saving planning and I, and I'll be the first to admit that I, I know that those aren't the healthiest ways to live. And, but it's, I guess it's fitting because I am aware of it. And I also, yeah, I'm, I'm, and that's why I got off Twitter because I'm like, I need, especially now that I work in the Bitcoin industry for a Bitcoin company. And I talk about Bitcoin all day long. And I also do a Bitcoin podcast and I also go to the Bitcoin meetups. Like I need some type of, it's like, I need the yang to remember that there's the yin, you know, I need this balance to remind myself of why I'm doing this in the first place. I think I could, if I take it away from Twitter, just call it, we all, I'll include myself, have a device addiction. Now, some of us are addicted to likes on Facebook or likes on Twitter or shares on Twitter. None of it's wrong, but to me, that's, that's mistake number one. I'll call it a device addiction, but it's close related to number two. And I would say, and the strength of the Bitcoin community is they're an incredibly generous group of people, but they don't maximize the use of what I would call their peer-to-peer network. I used to just call it network, but since mm-hmm. you're in Bitcoin, you'll understand what I mean by peer-to-peer, but it's right. the face-to-face stuff. It's what you and I are doing or when we meet at a Bitcoin, uh, Denver Bitcoin meetup or whatever. That So the way I used to describe it as a coach I got my first email address probably in 1992 and I was coaching before that. And I used to say to, and I'd learned from some of the best rainmakers that they were unbelievably good at building their network. And their, their mindset was putting people together for their mutual benefit. Not so I got something. They were just incredibly generous and they were great connectors. So then email comes in. This is long before social media. And what do you think happened to the peer-to-peer part of networking for most people once email kicked in? Went away. Get better or worse? I think it probably got worse. It got way worse. So now, this is before social media, this unbelievable tool, peer-to-peer, is neglected. Then email kicks in. Then we get social media. Do you think it's gotten better? Right. The irony is thick, you know, <laughs> the more well, tools we have, the worse, the less, uh, the less real the communication gets in a way. Uh, and I think there's this hunger for connection of the kind that, yes, we're doing a little bit because, but we're still on a the screen. There's still that personal that there's that face to face. Yeah. The, and the, the, so the nonverbal. Me, the, the blind spot existed long before Bitcoin. So it's not really just Bitcoiners. So that's kind of, giving him an out, but I feel it strongly. That's why I wrote a book called Relationships or Everything because they're really, really important. Like if there weren't enough food around, if there weren't enough, all kinds of resources, your local network of friends, neighbors, and family are your survival. And if you go to any other country, they already get this because they're in that survival mode. But we, because of our wealth, our affluence, um, you know, thank you, Alex Gladstein, check our financial privilege. We just don't see it. And so that to me would be sort of number two. 
And then I've been talking about the other one around it almost all the time. And that's sort of education. Um, I'm really disappointed that the Bitcoin community hasn't created at least one go-to place where I can learn about money, the banking system, and the financial system, and all the reasons why it's not exactly serving us, hmm. and not even talk about Bitcoin. Because once you understand how bad the current system is, you recognize it's literally a house of cards. Yes, it might go another decade. I don't think it'll go that long, but whatever. But in the meantime, I can exit it to today. I, I don't have to wait for it to topple. Yeah, and, and there's liquidity that too. <laughs> that education piece to me is a big miss. And then the thing that I'm excited about, so in fairness, Bitcoin Magazine, I think it's in, in uh, Nick Ward and I and, and CK and a bunch of other folks are working to really build out that piece because I think there's a need to recognize, to me, orange pill is the wrong word. Educate's a better word. My, like my goal, and it's not even orange pill because orange pill is all about Bitcoin. Educate, right. in my view, so I'm speaking at the pizza day on Sunday, and the name of the topic is what you don't know about money and the banking system will hurt you. And orange pilling is about Bitcoin. What I'm talking about with education is everything but Bitcoin, because I want people to understand how the system works now so that they go, well, this sucks. What's my exit strategy? Oh, well, I can explain to you a little bit about what I think Bitcoin does, but you make your own decision. And so, I think giving giving people the power of choice around how they spend their money, that's why I'm not a big fan of crapping on shit coins. It's like, look, if people want to be separated from their money by investing in that stuff, more power to you. That's I, right. You know, I'm not smart enough to know whether or not some of those are going to work or not. Yes, most of them are scams, in my opinion. I can express that opinion if people ask me. And there's only one Bitcoin. But I don't want to take away someone's power of choice. How do I know that the very thing losing their shirt in some shitcoin was not, in fact, the most valuable thing to happen in their life? How do I know that? Yeah. There's no way That's, I can know that. I, I think it goes back to the awareness of relationships, you know? Yep. Can you can you tell us about, hey, just because we're going to wrap up soon, the Monetary Declaration of Independence and how how you got started with this through Bitcoin Magazine? Yeah. Well, actually, it was interesting. It started as a document. You know, and again, I'm a boomer. So it was a Word document. And I started, I got really pissed off when somebody would accuse Bitcoin of being a Ponzi scheme when the dollar is the Ponzi scheme, right? Mm -hmm. So almost every single thing about that the mainstream narrative says about Bitcoin is actually true of the dollar or the financial system or the banking system. So I wrote this document, sat on my computer, probably from the day I started to research it in November, 2020. By the summer of last year, I'm like, I looked up to see if anyone had actually written a declaration of monetary independence. There was like one person and I forget who it was, my apologies. And it wasn't, quite what I had envisioned, which obviously now exists as a website as well as a document. But I and wrote a first that draft. Website? Um, well, the website for mine, it's actually called Declaration of Monetary Independence.org. You can go there and read it. It's got 
27 things that are described that are wrong with fiat. And then there's another 29 things that describe what Bitcoin is all about that really starts to be a better alternative. And all it's saying is, look, give us a choice, separate money from state. Bitcoin's already done it. So we didn't really need a declaration of monetary independence. But what I felt was valuable was to create something, get some original signers, put it on a website. And then my inspiration was actually the Great Barrington Declaration, if you know what that is. I don't. Okay, well, go to the Great Barrington Declaration. It's epidemiologist back in October of 2020 saying, look, folks, focused protection is the way to go with with um, COVID. And it was mm-hmm. signed by all these doctors, these epidemiologists, okay. and then just ordinary people. And I'm not worried about the raw numbers, but I think there's a lot of people I know for a fact, because it was, we created a nine by 12 foot version of this at the Miami conference in April and we had something like 2,000 people sign it. It was amazing. And wow. what was interesting, Zach, is they didn't just sign it and kind of quietly walk off. I would sit there and hand them a Sharpie and go, here, you want to sign it? Really? And so then they'd go and they'd sign it. And then after they'd sign it, they'd come back to me and they'd say, thank you. Now, some of them knew I had written it, but a lot of them didn't. But it was like, well, thank you for signing it. But the level of energy around the fact that they interacted and put their John Hancock somewhere was even beyond what I would have envisioned when we created this nine foot by 12 foot, basically real live edition of this decoration. So, well, again, it goes back to, it's about the impact, right? Like Bitcoin is just a tool. And the experience. That's been the whole, the whole theme today is like, don't lose sight of the fact that, this tool is to make life on earth better for human beings to increase the time that you can spend focusing on relationships and family and self personal growth and patience, like all of the, the, the things that you deep down know are more important, but you're so caught up in running the Fiat hamster wheel, you forget about them and don't even take time to stop and smell the roses. You know, I totally agree. I actually call that Fiat disease. We all have Fiat disease, myself yeah. included. I'm not. I'm not excluding myself. Working my way it, towards curing it. Well, but it, no, and you don't. You know, maybe it's like it's like the alcoholic. You're 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 always constantly kind of working at it. That's the awareness you said earlier. You nailed it. It's just being aware of where that kind of thinking. It's called. It's basically it's scarcity thinking, and you have to become aware of it before you can choose to let it go. Yep. And so if you're not aware of it and how much it's controlling your life, you're never going to let it go. There's no reason to. It's like the no point, right. you're not looking for a solution until you identify the problem. Exactly. Exactly. So the author of the Monetary Declaration of Independence also is working on a children's book. Is that what you were telling me? Well, yeah. I mean, that's more. So this is a call for people that think they have a children's book around money or the banking system, or the financial system, or Bitcoin, um, and illustrators. There already are some really good books out there. Uh, there's one that's called Bitcoin for Kiddos. I forget the one that was done by there the rabbi. Hello Bitcoin, I think that was one. There's Hello Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Yep, there, there's, there's several. And 
My theory is, so I own a publishing company because I've, I've written two books myself right. that are business books. And I've also published under that label two children's books, one which is actually called A Tale of Two Carrots, which is about conventional grown carrot and a restoratively grown carrot. But what I realized about That's children's awesome. books is the ability, we need to start at four years old educating every single person on the planet about money being yeah. that battery that we started the conversation with. And then understanding that Bitcoin might be a really nice way of preserving that. So that what it does, if so, and the beauty of a, a children's book is the adult has to read it to him. So it's the ultimate Trojan horse. Uh, so isn't that I the had, truth? <laughs> if I had the ability, and I'm going to do this with Bitcoin Magazine. I know Nick Ward has mentioned it in a meeting with, that we had with some other folks at The Looking Glass. I would like to find both authors and illustrators, and we create a series of these children's books that end up in every library of every elementary through college level, but they're children's books that people can actually start learning about the system. And the inspiration really was um, Einstein who said, look, if you can't explain it clearly, you don't understand it well enough. Yep. And it's actually hard to write some of these things. So I'm not saying I'll have one out like at the end of this year, but the goal, the big reach, the the big, you know, the big idea is you start educating four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds. Like I'm sure you've probably seen the ones with Lily who's four years old and she does mm -hmm. those videos. She's adorable. Right. Yep. But I mean, having children's books for that age, age appropriate that start to teach about either money or whatever, it'll be very simple concepts and they might even be metaphors. Um, I think having a series of those kinds of books will do more to close that education gap. We've been talking about this whole show than almost having a formal course where you send adults to learn about money, the banking system and the financial system. Right. Because That's then the they, they learn, they learn these principles and then they are reinforced through living. They see them. And then as they grow, they, they see these things and it's like, oh, wait, that and that that's what really puts it in their subconscious where they it becomes a worldview and a, a, a way that they live their life rather than just an idea that they came across once. Right. And Bitcoin is, as we both, I think, uh, agree would agree on is an idea and you can't kill it. But at the same right. time, I want to water it. I want to I want to put mm -hmm. seeds in the mind of a four or five or six year old and I want to water it and I want to make sure I want to nurture it. And I want to make sure that by the time they're old enough to actually have a job and save money, that they go, oh, well, I can save it in dollars or Bitcoin. And if I can get those kinds of decisions starting happening at, if we can, getting those happening at 12 or 13 or 15 or 16 or whenever, that's it's just a mindset. It's not, I don't, I mean, hyper-Bitcoinization, I think, you and I can be hyper Bitcoinized personally, right? If we decide to make it our unit of account, but I'd still like to see it invisible, right? So that everyone's using it. But I also want every single person on the planet to know, hey, this is an option. The current monetary system where the government was in charge, that was the basic point of the declaration. It's like, look, money isn't the exclusive purview of our government. Right. And as Satoshi put, I think either in his white paper or in an email, 
they've always abused that trust. So let's try one that's got a consensus algorithm, use math, use SHA-256, something that you can actually trust will probably still be working for you in 100 years or in 30 years rather than this state-created thing. You know, we happen to live in a country where we have the most stable of currencies, but all that is, it's the dirtiest, uh, it's the cleanest, dirtiest shirt in the in the pack. (laughs) And I use this metaphor, every other currency is running the race backwards. Bitcoin's the only one in my mind that's going forward. Should be a easy, predictable outcome over the long term. That's the case, right? With a long enough time horizon. And we've seen monetary resets. I mean, it's not like this isn't like the first time there's ever been a global currency reserve change. I mean, the pound was the the reserve currency until I believe World War II. So this is like, we're just kind of like our turns over. Hopefully my goal goal is that uniquely this time, there may not be another country that takes over the world reserve currency, but it may be the last one where money is now no longer the domain of any government. And there will still be countries, there will still be governments and there'll still be cultures. Gosh, I hope there's still cultures of what makes life rich. Of course. But the, the, the government fiddling around with the money supply and the, you know, the after effects and ripple effects that that has on those countries themselves, I think those are going to be more, I'll use detethered, uh, to use the tether. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I think that, yeah, decoupled. And, and, yep. and from there, you're going to see, I, I think, a, a new era of human flourishment. Now, it's going to take a while. I'm I'm turning 30. I think it'll happen in my lifetime. I think it'll, you know, if I have kids someday, I, I, I'm, I'm sure it'll happen in their lifetime. Yeah. For people, for people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, I think, you know, that's why I would take care of myself. That's why I would eat healthy. That's why I would be, because I mean, ultimately, like we've been talking about, like, and I'll we'll kind of wrap up and do an outro here after this, but like, we're talking about Bitcoin as time and energy, right? And you know, you really can't control when you go, you really, you know, you have a finite amount. Unfortunately, you have also unknown finite amount. So why not, you know, people freak out about securing their Bitcoin, but don't give two thoughts about, you know, chugging a bottle of vodka sometimes or, or, or eating, eating, like eating McDonald's yeah. or, and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. these things are also taking away your time and energy. So I, I, I hope that, um, some people listen to our conversation and get inspiration from that, that, you know, Bitcoin's a tool, uh, and, and what the price of it does is out of your control, but what you do, how you take care of yourself, the relationships that you focus on, these are all things that are, are within your control. And that's what you focus on. Yeah. 100%. And the thing I want, you mentioned reset and the, the thing that makes me most optimistic and positive is for the first time you've sort of articulated it, we have a reset where Bitcoin is an option. So we don't care if a group of very powerful countries with the strongest currencies get together and try and redraw the map on what money looks like. And in fact, maybe the meeting in El Salvador with the 44 countries that have absolutely no power like they did at Bretton Woods all convening around Bitcoin is one of the most optimistic things that 
any of us can look forward to. And I think, frankly, if I'm in your sort of peer group, and I've said this to my kids, I'm way more encouraged and optimistic about the future because there's a an option like Bitcoin. And I guess stay tuned. We'll see how it plays out. Well said, Mark. And that's uh, I, I I think Bitcoin is one of the most important things that I cling to for hope for yeah, the future. Yep. And, and 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 it's not hope that I get rich. It's not hope that it succeeds so I can walk around and say, see, I told you guys I was right. It's because I want everyone in the world to like be get stronger together, like the relationships that and I and I've seen money separate people and I I've seen the struggles that at least to relationships and to families and to just your self-esteem and the you know we've got yeah. so many people on on antidepressants and all these days and I, I I I'm just I I maybe you know maybe I'm a little naive in that echo chamber on Twitter that we're talking about but I do think that Bitcoin may not fix all those things right but it, it's it can give you a foundation to work from right if you build yes. a solid foundation you can take your time and build the actual house correctly absolutely. So, any um any parting words uh, of wisdom uh, for our listeners? No, actually, thank you. It's been a fun conversation. I really have enjoyed it, and I keep up the good work. So, I, you know, anyone that's in Bitcoin, here's what I say: um, you know, thank you for all you do for Bitcoin. Uh, that's awfully kind of you, Mark. Well, where uh, where where can our listeners like if they want to find your writing, learn about your? Well, if they uh, want to find the- my my articles, you can just go on the Bitcoin Magazine, and I think. Um, if you look up my name, you could probably find it, which is kind of hard to spell, but, um, an open letter to my children, I think was the first one or, um, you know, no one understand, nobody understands Bitcoin, but that's okay. Just look up one of them. You'll get all of them. I think written nine or 10. If they want to get a hold of me, in fact, I haven't already done this. I'm always looking for people that want to write for Bitcoin magazine and they have a message so they can actually get a hold of me. I'll actually give my email. That's one of my other frustrations. Every podcast I think I ever listened to in my life, it's, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, right? And you're not going (laughs) to find me on Twitter. I mean, I have a Twitter account, but you're not going to get a hold of me that way. But it's mark at btcmedia.org. And they can certainly reach out to me. Love to hear if you've got an article in mind or a children's book or you're an illustrator, whatever. Um, You know, anything you want to contribute. The cool part of Bitcoin is, we're all playing for the same team and we have an alignment of incentives. I've never seen that in my lifetime uh, uh, with anything else. And it's a fascinating thing. So if there's anyone out there that, you know, thinks they might want to write or they've already written a bunch of cool articles, by all means, reach out to me and I'd love to love to at least start a dialogue, but. Awesome. Yeah. We're stronger together. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I love that. I love that saying. I think I heard that like last week from someone. So, Well, you know, the other one that actually, I, I, th- there's another one I heard that was uh, even more appropriate because we're in this financial storm. And you've heard the, st- the saying, we're all in the same boat. No, we're not. We're all in the same storm. Hmm. We're not all in the same boat. And I That's think it's true. useful to remember that when folks are trying to quote, orange pill or convince someone again, it goes back to everything you said, you know, it's really, it's the relationships that we build and it's, it's about flourishing and Bitcoin's a tool to help us do that. And that's, that's a pretty exciting thing to consider all, all things considered. 
you're you seem to be to be flourishing right now, mm-hmm. Mark. I can uh, I can just see the positivity. I'm having fun. That's it. I get and, to work and- with young. I get to work with young, really inspired people like you. Honestly, it's really true. I mean, and and I mean, Dylan Leclerc's on our team. He's like twenty or twenty one. No, just turned twenty one. So Dylan, I mean, he's Dylan really Some of these folks, it's really been fun. And you know, I, I was fortunate enough in my life and in my career. I used to say I haven't worked a day in my life. And I mean, I really, really love what I did, even in my quote fiat job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I. But I uh, that also got old, and this is kind of renewal, and it's been a lot of fun. So um, I am having some fun. I hope all the folks that are listening can find a way to make, you know, make their life flourish even more. Obviously, Bitcoin is one of those tools to help them get there. Well, this was uh, this was also a lot of fun. So good. Thank you, thank you so much for for coming on Valley Stack Podcast, Mark. I really appreciate your time and carving this out in the middle of the day so uh we'll post this in a couple days and uh i'm excited to hear how the pizza turns out i'm sad i'm gonna miss it this sunday but uh, yeah pizza day i'll yeah. be I'll, I'll be looking in telegram so uh, thanks again for coming on and uh to our listeners we'll see you next time